Well, good morning, Northridge. How are you guys? Good to see you. My name is Pete. I'm one of the pastors here at Northridge. I want to welcome those of you uh, that are watching online. We're so glad that you are with us as well. Uh, so before we jump to the message, I just want to reiterate what you just heard on that video, which is Christmas Eve is right around the corner. And if you haven't figured it out, we do Christmas really big around here. And Christmas Eve is going to be amazing. And so my encouragement to you, because I know most of you probably already know when you're coming and what service you're going to, is to this week be praying about who you could invite. Don't, don't come alone, right? It's just too special. I know that there's somebody in your life, neighbor, a friend, a coworker, a family member, somebody who needs to experience the hope of Christmas this year. So please invite them. We've made it as easy as we possibly could. There's these little uh, Christmas Eve invites are at the uh, front desk on your way out. Grab a handful of them and hand them out. Uh, if you don't like paper, then you can text the word invite to 31616. And we'll send you a little digital uh, invite with all the service times. And uh, you can do that right now if you want to. And uh, it makes it easy, right? You can just text your friends, just send it to them, email it to them, whatever you want to do. But make sure you don't come alone. It's going to be amazing. All right, so we are in this series called Believe. Pastor Brad kicked it off a couple weeks ago. And whenever we're like doing a series, especially when Pastor Brad and I are kind of sharing a series... Uh, we'll get together and kind of think through, pray through, plan like what the series is going to look like and what he's going to talk about and what I'm going to talk about. And I know on any series that he's doing, Pastor Brad spends a lot of time in prayer and planning, just making sure he's hearing from God exactly where we're going and what it is that God wants him to share. And um, so I had my message planned out, right? And I felt like it was the right message for this series and for this week. And then like middle of the week, I felt God kind of like prompt me and be like, Pete, that's not the right message. I'm like, no, it's the right message. Trust me, God. It's, it, this is the message. I, it's done. And it's funny and it has good illustrations. Like it's, it's the right message. And God's like, no, it's not the right message. Now, I don't know how this works from you. I've never heard, I've never audibly heard God's voice. And so what I've had to learn to do throughout my life is to look in the scriptures, to hear God speaking, leading my life, and learn to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And he gives me these prompts sometimes, and I'm not 100% on like getting it right all the time. Uh, sometimes I think that I'm hearing from God, and I'm not, and I've got to kind of figure that out. You know, like ego and a lot of different things can play into this. But I really sense God was saying, this isn't the right message. I want you to talk about something else. And so I kind of went back to the drawing board and I landed on this character in the Christmas story that I'll be honest, he's on the fringe. In fact, I've never done a message on this guy ever. And just to be honest, there's just more interesting characters in the Christmas story and easier characters in the Christmas story to kind of talk about. But I really felt convicted about this. So I don't know who needs to hear this message or maybe just one of you, maybe 10 of you, maybe it's a hundred of you. I have no idea, but I just felt like There is somebody that needs to hear this. And so I want to encourage you to kind of just lean in today. And I'm going to give you some quick background before we dive in, all right? So at the time of Jesus' birth, it's a very interesting time to be a follower of the one true God. There had been a long season of God's people not hearing from him. To be honest, it was 400 years of apparent silence. So there's 400 years from when the Old Testament ends in the book of Malachi to where we pick up in the New Testament. There's 400 years 
where they didn't hear from God. And God's silence is really hard to deal with, isn't it? You ever been in a season of your life where you just feel like God wasn't there? Feel like God wasn't speaking to you? God wasn't leading you? Maybe you even prayed a prayer like, God, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just make it clear. Just tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do that. And nothing. You're praying, but it feels like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. And you get to this place where you wonder, does God know? Does God care? Like, God, where, where are you? And I've been learning, and this is a really hard lesson to grasp, but I've been learning that God's silence does not equal his absence. And I believe if you look at scripture, and if you look at your own life, and look at your past, what you'll discover is that God is most powerfully present even when he seems to be most apparently absent. That he's there, and he's working even when you can't see him, even when you can't hear him. But let's be honest, 400 years of silence? And I don't think it was that God decided to stop talking to his people. I think it's that his people decided to stop listening to him. And sometimes you have to create a dramatic pause in order to get people's attention. Right? And I think God created this dramatic pause and he was waiting for his people to lean in, to listen, to hear what it is that he had to say. So the way it worked back then, very different than today, right? Because this is before Jesus and tearing down the temple curtain and all that. The way it worked was every year they selected a priest from one of the tribes of Israel who would go into the temple. And the whole goal of this moment when he goes into the temple is to burn some incense, do some other traditions, and to sit there and to listen to see if God has something to say. He's looking for a sign. He's looking to hear a word from God, something that then what would happen is the priest would then leave the Holy of Holies where all the people were gathered outside the temple because they weren't allowed to go in. And they wanted to hear from the priest what God had to say to them. So for 400 years, they select what they believe the right person, right, to go into the Holy Holies to hear from God. They all gathered. They waited around the temple to hear if the priest got some kind of word from God. And year after year, nothing. Priest would come out and be like, nada, nothing. Didn't hear anything, no sign, like no, no presence, no direction, no word from the Lord. And again, this is hard because they're picking the person that they believe is most likely to be able to hear from God, and they're sending that person into the place that they believe is the most likely place to hear something from God, and nothing. Priest after priest, decade after decade, generation after generation, eventually century after century, nothing, just silence. Have you ever gone to like an appointment to meet somebody and they didn't show up on time? We all have, right? Like, do you have a protocol for like how long you wait? I kind of have a system. So for me, it's I'll sit there, you know, I'm not like sitting at Starbucks by myself trying to pretend like I'm there by myself on purpose and that I'm not there waiting for somebody who totally didn't show up. So you kind of play that game. I wait about five minutes and then I send a text. And a te text is usually something like, hey, are you good? Like, just want to make sure, like, you, are, are you still coming? And then 15, if 15 minutes goes by and they don't show and I don't hear from them, I'm gone. I'm leaving. I'm assuming at that point that I got the wrong day or I got the wrong place or they totally forgot, but 15 minutes is all I'm going to wait. How long do you wait? 
Like, maybe you're single and you're waiting for this guy you're really interested in or this girl you're really interested in. How long do you wait? 30 minutes? If they're, like, really cute, maybe an hour? Maybe? Really desperate, maybe an hour and a half? I don't know. I don't, how long do you wait? How long do you wait on God? Right? How long do you wait? Like, 400 years, God's silent, and the Jewish people and the Jewish world just waited and wondered about this promise of the Messiah. And then suddenly, after 400 years of silence, God breaks his silence. And this is what happened. This is, oops, Luke chapter one, verse five. It says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there's a priest named Zechariah. That's the guy that I've never preached about, by the way. Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of the Avijah, his wife Elizabeth, I don't know if I said that right, but you guys don't know either, so uh, <laughs> we're gonna go with what I said, all right? His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Don't forget this fact, we'll come back to it, right? They were good people. They were living good lives. They were doing all the right things, right? But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. So he's the guy, right? Remember I was telling you about like every year they select a priest that goes in, the person that they think is most likely to hear from God, he's, he's the guy, right? So he goes into the temple, he does his priestly thing. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So they're all gathering just waiting. Then, and here's the moment, right? 400 years of silence. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Of course he was, right? 400, his expectations were not real high that anything was going to happen. And all of a sudden, after 400 years, there's an angel standing there and he's scared to death. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John, and he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. So this is like a really cool moment for Zechariah. Like he's the first one to hear from the Lord in 400 years. So Zechariah is the priest. He's married to Elizabeth. We're told that they're really good people. Elizabeth, by the way, is a cousin of Mary, who will be the mother of Jesus, Right? And, and, and this angel shows up and is like, Zachariah, I got to tell you, I know you guys have been praying for a child for a long time. And you've kind of given up hope, but you're going to have a son. And I want you to name him John. That John, by the way, would end up becoming who we know as John the Baptist. And your son's going to play a pivotal role. He's going to be a forerunner to the promised Messiah. And Zachariah is just standing there like, what? Like, Really? Now, what's interesting is the angel Gabriel, when he shows up to give this message to Zechariah, this is the first of two messages that he's going to give to two different human beings. The first one is the Zechariah to tell them his wife Elizabeth is going to give birth to John. But then the angel is going to go to Mary and tell Mary, oh, by the way, you're pregnant with the Savior, the Jesus, the Savior that you guys, the Messiah that you've been waiting for. Now, we all know Mary's response to the angel. It's been well noted, thousands of sermons preached on how Mary responds to the angel. Songs have been written about how Mary responded 
to the angel. There are plays where there's pivotal scenes in a play. Talk about how Mary responded to the angel. You remember how she responded? She simply said, let it be. Let it be. It was a statement of faith. Didn't totally understand how in the world that she was going to have this virgin birth. But she's like, let it be as you have said. It's a beautiful moment. But Zachariah responds much differently. Here's his response. Luke 1.18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day that this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come the true, which will come true at their appointed time. So it's like he has this unbelievable moment, right? 400 years of silence is broken, but he can't believe it. He's like, how can this be? It was a response much different than Mary's. His response is a response of disbelief. It's a, it's a response of doubt. How can this be? Now, here's where I want to talk to some of you guys right now, right? Because I think it's quite possible that for some of you right now, God is speaking to you. There's not like an angel that's going to show up like, you know, in your closet of your bedroom or anything like that. I mean, maybe it could, but it's probably not the way it's going to go down. It's probably going to be some kind of prompting, something that you just can't shake, that you know it just doesn't completely make sense, but you feel and you sense that God's moving you in this direction. And your response has been, how can this be? It's been a response of, of doubt. And I have no idea what God might be prompting you to do. He has not shared that with me, right? He shared his prompt with me, and I knew my prompt, at least this week, was to change this message and talk about this. But I don't know what your prompt is. Maybe God's prompting you to be more generous. Maybe he's prompting you to start a family. Maybe he's prompting you to, to lead at a higher level. Maybe he's prompting you to let go of something that you've been tolerating in your life that you know that you should not be tolerating. Maybe he's prompting you to stay in a search of what certain situation. Maybe he's prompting you to leave a certain situation. Maybe he's prompting you to invite somebody to Christmas Eve. Maybe he's prompting you to stand up for truth in your high school. I, I have no idea what God might be prompting you to do right now. But for some of you, your response has been, how can I be sure of this? Your response has been one of doubt. Now for Zachariah, there's a very logical progression that he follows, that you can see this a lot of times in the Bible and we can see this in our own lives, right? He starts with doubt and then the doubt leads to excuses, right? His excuse was what? He says, I'm too old and my wife is along in years, which is a very kind way of addressing that situation, right? He's like, I'm old and I'm not gonna say she's old, but she is my age. She's old, right? We're old, right? And it's so funny to me, like how quickly we can spin off excuses when we feel God's prompting us to do something. You've used all the excuses, right? Sometimes you're too old. Sometimes you're too young. Sometimes you don't have enough money or you're not gifted enough or you think you don't have enough time or you don't have enough experience. But here's the interesting thing about encounters with God. Encounters with God always require an audacity of faith. It's almost like a reckless faith. 
See, God's not looking for your doubts. God's not looking for your excuses. What God is looking for is an audacity of faith in your life. I mean, look through scripture. Every single time somebody has an encounter with God, it, it, it changes them, right? There's a major shift that takes place. Something happens to them or something happens to their circumstances that is so radical that from that point forward, they can never tell the story of their life the same way. And Zechariah, he has the encounter, but he's lacking the audacious faith. And I don't think it's a mistake that scripture very specifically points out to us that Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, are blameless. In other words, they're righteous. Like, Zechariah lives a very godly life. He, he's doing all the right things. He's saying all the right things. He's a man of integrity, right? He's the kind of person in our culture would say, you should really look up to this guy. You should model your life after this guy. But he misses. He misses the big R. He's doing all the right things. He's following all the rules. But he doesn't have an audacious faith. And it costs him greatly. Hebrews 11.6 reminds all of us, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's impossible to please God without this audacious faith. Zechariah has everything else going for him in his life. He's doing all the right things. But when he needed to step up to the plate with audacious faith, he didn't have it. And I think it, it's kind of sad that in modern Christianity, we've kind of reduced being a Christian down to like, you know, go to church every once in a while, you know, sing a few songs, be a good person, do more good than bad, be respectful, don't cuss too much, don't give too little, like all, all these nice things. But what God is saying to Zechariah, I need you to be a voice. I need you to be a voice for what I'm going to do in the world. But right now, your faith is too small. And so I'm going to have to silence you so that other people don't have a faith as small as yours. Whew. But after I'm done, Zechariah, after I'm done doing this amazing thing that I just told you I'm going to do, after your wife gives birth to this son, you're going to be able to speak again. And I wanted you to be a voice for what was going to happen, but now you're just gonna be a voice for what has happened, right? God's calling some of you to be a voice for what he wants to do in the future of your life. But right now, all you are is a voice for what he's done in the past. This is where I got really convicted. I got really convicted kind of working through this, especially thinking about Christmas. Because for me, and probably for the vast majority of us, when it comes to Christmas and celebrating Christmas, it's all about what God's done in the past. And we gather together and we sing beautiful songs like Silent Night and Away in the Manger, and we light some candles, and we set up a manger scene, and we do some of our other traditions. And we, and we should. We should do those things. We should celebrate this amazing thing that God did 2,000 years ago where he comes down to earth and he gives us what we needed the most, which was a savior. But in all of our gathering, in all of our traditions, in all of our worship, remember, God does not want us to just believe in what he did in the past. He's calling us to believe in what he wants to do in our future. And that, my friends, requires a whole different level of faith. Sure, 
it, it takes faith to believe in what God's done in the past. But that's like bottom level faith, right? It's like the, the most basic requirement to being a Christian. You have to believe, you have to have enough faith that God acted on your behalf 2,000 years ago and he sent his son Jesus who would die on a cross for your sins and be resurrected, defeating death, giving you forgiveness for your past and hope for your future. That's like, that's bottom level. That, that's the invitation. That's where it starts. But to live the life that God has created you to live takes another level of faith. You have to, uh, it's an upper level faith. It's a faith that doesn't just believe in what God's done in the past, but it's a faith that believes that God is still working in your life and that he's not done with you yet. And that takes a whole nother level of faith. He wants us as a church, not only to be a voice for what has happened, but what is happening and what will happen in the future. God wants us, Northridge, to be a voice of hope a voice that is calling people to a better future, a voice that's calling people out of the present and into an unimaginable tomorrow that only God himself can create. And so in this little confrontation that the angel has with Zechariah, Gabriel is saying, I've come to spread a story that is so crazy. It is so unbelievable. It is so life-changing. And I came here because I wanted you, Zachariah, to be a voice for this story. But you're not ready. You're not ready. So I'm going to have to silence you. I'm going to have to silence you. And I don't think this was punishment as much as it was a lesson. It was also protection. Because what God knows is that doubt is contagious. Doubt's contagious. Unbelief is contagious. He's like, I'm, I'm going to have to silence you. It's a lesson. It's going to be a lesson for you, Zechariah. Uh, most of you know I have four kids. I have three older boys and I have a baby daughter. And uh, my boys are way into football. They all play football. One of my sons plays college level football. And I know, I know when you just look at me, you automatically assume, of course, that dude has boys that play football. I mean, yeah. Why are you laughing? Uh, but th for some reason, they, they got the gift that I didn't have, and, and, and they love playing it. And my youngest son, Brewer, is a sophomore, but he plays varsity quarterback for his high school team. And uh, he's, he's, a, he's a great little player. He has a lot of fun with it. And he has the, the best gift for him in his life right now is his, his coach. He has an amazing coach. Um, who played in the NFL, played in the Super Bowl in the NFL, right? So this guy knows what he's doing. And, and Brewer, my son, has a lot of respect for him, but he's having to learn to trust his coach. So early on in the season, the coach had called a play. I won't go into all the details, but Brewer could not see this play working. He, he could not bring himself to throw the ball to the place he was supposed to throw the ball because he couldn't see it developing the way that it was developing. So he made a choice in the moment and he ditched that play and he decided to run his own play. That play did not work at all. So there's a timeout called. The coach goes out there. He's grabbing him by the jersey, you know, pulling, just giving it to him, you know, which is really uncomfortable as his dad. You're standing there like, yeah, yep, that's my boy out there just getting ripped a new one. And, and so that, that happens. And then Brewer, I watch Brewer, he walks off. He gets sidelined, right? And he's just walking to the sideline like this, like he knows he's screwed up, right? And so after the game, and he goes back in a couple plays later. After the game, I'm like, what? Like, what was it? What happened there? Because I, I didn't know everything that had taken place. And he tells essentially, I didn't listen to the coach. I thought that I knew better. I could not trust, like, in what I couldn't see developing. And the coach just said, hey, Brewer, 
you're a great kid, you're a great athlete, you gotta learn to trust me when I call a play. And he just said, just go, go sit on the sideline for a little bit, pull yourself together, right? You're not in trouble, but you have to make a decision. And when you're ready to listen to me, let me know and you can get back in this game. And I've thought about that story a lot for a lot of different reasons, but I wonder how often in our Christian lives we sideline ourselves, right? We sideline ourselves. Oh, we're living good lives, right? We're still doing good things. We're still going to church. We're still participating in all this stuff, but we've been sidelined and we're playing a much smaller role. We're playing a diminished role in our lives because we have not yet learned to trust the play that God calls in our life. Now, we're still a part of the team, right? You're, still, you're living with the promise of eternity. You've trusted in Jesus. That's not at risk, right? But you're not living the life that he really called you to. You're not really in the game. You have enough faith to believe that God acted in your past, and you've put your hope and your faith and trust in that. You have the promise of eternity, but you've yet to believe in what God can do in your future. And you're playing this diminished role. You've been sidelined. And God wants you. God wants you to be a voice, not only for what he did 2,000 years ago, but he wants you to be a voice to declare what he's gonna do through you in the future. That's what he wants from us. See, it's kinda hit me this week. I've never thought about it in this way, but when you think about the Bible, and you have this amazing collection of stories of what God did throughout this particular period of history to his people. And I think a lot of times what we think in the church is that we just need to have enough faith to believe that those stories actually happened. You just gotta have enough faith to believe that yes, Moses parted the Red Sea. And you just have to have enough faith to believe that you know God used Peter and Paul in all these miraculous ways. And if you can have enough faith to believe that God did those things in the stories, then, then you're good. But see, I don't think that the stories just exist as a test for you to see if you can muster up enough faith to believe that they happened. I think those stories exist also as an invitation to see if you can believe that God could actually do those things in you and through you today. So Zachariah isn't ready. And God's like, you'll be ready one day and you're gonna know it. You're gonna know it, Zachariah, and the moment you see your son John born to your wife Elizabeth, you're gonna know it. And in that moment, you're gonna get your voice back and you will declare in that moment a level of faith and a level of worship that I wanted you to be able to declare when you walked out of this temple, but you're not ready. So you're only gonna be a voice for what's happened in the past, not a voice of hope for what I can do in the future. And you know what I think is interesting about Zachariah? I don't know this for sure, but this is what I believe. I, I don't think Zechariah was doubting God's power. I don't think that Zechariah was doubting what God could do. I think Zechariah was just doubting the fact that God could do it through him. Now I want you to take a big deep breath, okay? Because I'm gonna step on some of your toes. Because I think that there's a bunch of you right now that you believe in the power of God and you believe that God can do miraculous things, right? You believe that God can do it, you just don't believe that God can do it through you. You're not doubting God, you're doubting who you are in his story. And I believe this has been the evil one's like most effective strategy on my life, 
from the time I was a little kid, it was kind of weird. I don't know why. It was easy for me to believe. I'm like eight years old. And I was like, I get this. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe in his forgiveness for my life. Like as a little kid, I, I, I still believed that, that God could do miraculous things. I did. Believing in God and his power has been easy for me in my life. But you know what? I have sidelined myself so many times over the years because I believed that God could do great things. I just didn't think he could do them through me. I missed opportunity after opportunity. And so part of what I want you to hear, right? And this is what I think is so important. Lean in on this. Listen, God is waiting for you to believe and declare the truth. But he's not just waiting for you to believe and declare the truth about who he is. He also wants you to believe and declare the truth about who you are in him. And that's the gap. I believe that's the gap. That's what we have to address for a whole lot of you right now in your lives. It's not addressing the fact that you believe that God can work and has worked. You believe that. You're having a hard time believing in you and who you are in him. And God wants you to declare the truth about you. Declare the truth. Declare the truth that you matter. Declare the truth that you are loved by God. Declare the truth that he created you in his image. Declare the truth that he created you with intention and purpose for this life. Declare the truth that no matter how beat up that you've gotten by this life, declare the truth that no matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter how many times you've walked away from God, declare the truth that he can still use your life for something great. Can you believe that? Will you believe that? Will you declare that truth? He's waiting. He's waiting for you to speak the truth, not just about him, but about who you are in him. So listen, Northridge, here's the goal. This is my goal. I hope that it will become your goal as well. I don't want this Christmas to just be about celebrating what God did 2,000 years ago. Although, let me be very clear, that would be enough. That would be enough. I want this to be a Christmas that's also about what God is still waiting to do in my life that is yet to come. See, the very beauty of Christmas is Christmas is this reminder that God just couldn't get you off his mind. He couldn't. Right? God, God just couldn't come to grips with like wiping out humanity and starting all over again. God, God could not shake you. His love for you was so great that he had to find a way. And he comes to earth in a form of a baby who grows up and dies on a cross, a death that you and I all deserved. It's this unbelievable miracle, but it's not enough. It's not enough just to believe that that happened 2,000 years ago. God wants you to believe that he's still working and is still moving in your life today. And because of his love, he's drawing you to him. The question is, can you believe? Can you believe not only in who he is, but in who you are in him? And when you get those two things going together, oh, watch out, because some really cool things are about to happen in your life. 
So will you guys do me a favor as we kind of begin to close this service out? Would, would, you, would you all stand for just a minute? Stand for just a second, because I want to give you an opportunity today to declare the truth. Not only the truth about who he is as we worship together, I want you to be in your heart declaring the truth about who you are in him. I want you to declare the truth that you've been created with a purpose and intention. I want you to declare the truth that God has not done with you yet. I want you to declare the truth that he's writing a much bigger story than the story that you're living right now. I want you to declare the truth of who you are in him. It's a cool moment in that story where the angel says to Zachariah, says, I have been standing in the presence of God. And what he was really trying to say to Zachariah, Zachariah, you need to know because I have been standing in the presence of God that now you are standing in the presence of God. And I'm here to tell you today that right now you are standing in the presence of God. And so am I. Right, we believe that, right? That God is here, that God is moving, that God is stirring, that God is prompting, that God is leading, that God is healing right now in this moment. This is a, is a really cool moment, right? That we're sharing together. We are in God's presence. And, and it's not an accident that you're here. Maybe you feel like it's an accident. It's not an accident. You're here because God is waiting for you to declare the truth about him, but also declare the truth about who you are in him. So I'm gonna give you an opportunity right now with your voice to lift it loud, to declare not just with your mouth, but with your heart, who he is and who you are in him and that he is not done with you yet. Let this Christmas not just be about a story that you celebrated that happened 2,000 years ago, but celebrate the fact that that story is still unraveling and the God of the universe has invited you to be a part of it. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this moment. We truly do believe that it's a holy moment. And as we stand in your presence with all of our imperfections, with all of our doubts, we know, God, that you're moving. And for some of us, it's very specific. We know what it is you're calling us to do. But we've been responding with a how can this be instead of a let it be. So God, right now, we just surrender to you. And in the depths of our souls, we proclaim with our voice that you are the one true God. You are the way maker. You are the miracle worker, not just 2,000 years ago, but also today. For it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.